again, everybody. When you hear that music, you know, and that's great music, the great music from the city of Chicago. When you hear that tune, you know it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. And we are coming to you live from the Windy City. Went out to Wrigley Field last night and saw some of the worst baseball I have seen since I played Little League Baseball. That was a terrible display of base running again, another blunder by the Cubs, and the uh, game was uh, lost. The Braves won with three hits, the Cubs lost with four hits. I got to tell you, that was pretty boring. But I've been reminded by a few of my listeners that uh, the last few podcast episodes have been more like the grumpy side of baseball, the grumpy side of the north side of Chicago. And so we'll try to keep it a little bit more upbeat, a little bit lighter today. And I've got some great news to let everybody know about. Uh, Up until this point, the 21 episodes that we have done uh, have been all on SoundCloud, and we appreciate SoundCloud's ability to... Uh, catered us and to allow us to put those podcasts on that particular medium. And now, in addition to SoundCloud, I'm happy to report that we have gotten the approval of iTunes. That's right, Apple Podcasts. Uh, If you go to your Apple phone and go to your podcast, you can type in the lighter side of baseball and... The episodes, uh, at least most of the episodes, come up on that. And in addition to that, we're trying to get into the 21st century here on the lighter side of baseball. That's going to take a while for me to really get used to it. But through the help of my beautiful daughter, Kathy, we have been able to get me on Twitter, on Instagram, and Facebook, and somehow between Kathy and our production staff back in Kansas City, Tyler, with the help of Tyler and Kathy, I think if you go to my new Facebook page, you can get the link to either SoundCloud or iTunes. And I'm pretty excited about that because iTunes is uh, certainly easier to access, I think, than SoundCloud. But um, again, I am just learning about this social media stuff, I hate to say. And other than the podcast that I uh, have been able to put together and uh, and generate, other than that, you know, I'm still figuring out how to Instagram and how to tweet and all that good stuff. But I know with the help of my six kids, I'll be able to do that soon and do it effectively. And also, a shout-out to Craig Kashan. One of the many voices of the Milwaukee Brewers, and Craig has uh, helped me with social media and encouraged me through these podcasts. And speaking of Craig, on this podcast number 22, coming to you two games before the halfway point of the uh, Major League Baseball season. Yeah, it's hard to believe, man, from, from those snowy April days until the coming up All-Star break. When the Cubs finish this current homestand against the Atlanta Braves on Thursday, that is the 81-game halfway mark. And i got to tell you, the National League Central is up for grabs. 
Uh, and, you know, that's funny because the Cubs should be running away with it, except they can't hit. But I'm not going to dwell on the negative right now. I'll get to that later. Let's talk about the positive and Craig Kashan and the Milwaukee Brewers because this was really cool. Uh, the Brewers, who have just been so spectacularly helpful with respect to keeping the memory alive of my good friend Dave Nelson, have decided to annually award a resident of Wisconsin with the Nelly Global Award for someone in Wisconsin who makes an international contribution to the world in the same fashion that uh, Dave did. Of course, Dave was involved with Open Arms home for children. And so in the ceremony, which took place on the celebration of Dave's 75th birthday, June 20th, 2019, I had the honor to be on Fox Sport Midwest pregame show hosted by Craig Kashan. And with me was the founder and the person who made Open Arms what it is today, Bob Solis. He's a good friend of mine, has been for a long time. We've talked about Bob's son, Sammy. Sammy, who, this, this is funny too. I mean, uh, I could turn uh, criticism into humor. And, and uh, I like to point out the ineptitude of the Washington Nationals general manager, or whatever he is. You know, that reminds me, back in my youth, there was an owner and then there was a general manager, and then there was five or six other guys that worked in the, uh, in the front office to sell tickets, arrange for concessions, blah, 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 monitor the minor leagues. Now you got literally thousands of people. But the most inept general manager that I know of is the, uh, uh, the Rizzo, not to be confused with Anthony Rizzo, but the other Rizzo, who's the GM of the Washington Nationals, and it's got to be related to the owner. I mean, he just has to be. And I, Again, I'm sure he's a great guy, and he's made a lot of money being whatever he is, president, CEO, general manager, bungler of every kind of possible move he could make. Um, did get Scherzer. That was a good deal. Uh, gave away a lot of talent uh, in in getting a few players, but by and large, he screws everything up. And speaking of Sammy Solis, the son of Bob Solis, Sammy was a pretty good middle reliever for the Washington Nationals for a couple of years. Bounced up and down uh, because he had options available, and that's part of the business of minor league baseball. But Sammy, good kid. I mean, he was a really, really is a good guy, and the. First year of the managerial reign of Dave Martinez, uh, he overused Sammy, and then they wondered why his arm went dead and why he couldn't really get a lot of guys out, especially when they'd bring him in to get a lefty out. He actually does a little better against righties. Now, you know, for some unbelievably bad scouting, uh, they they decided, first of all, they got rid of uh, Mike Maddox, a pitching coach, a couple of years ago and brought in a guy who didn't coach at all. And uh, he's gone, and that was probably a good thing to get rid of him. But, I mean, it's been one bungled deal after another. But anyway, so right 
in the midst of spring training, when Sammy's having a pretty good spring, they call him into the office and go, oh, by the way, we're going to release you. And we're doing this because we care about you. And uh, we want to give you a chance to catch on with another team. So pack your bags, get out of here, and don't let the door hit you. See you later. Thanks for throwing your arm out last year. Well, if you follow the Washington Nationals, their bullpen ERA is over seven. They're releasing more guys than who knows what, and they are pathetic. They, they could use Savvy Salisa. It's like nobody really talks about it out there around the Potomac River because they're so pathetic. They let Harper go, which, you know, probably was a dumb move, and they let Sammy go. Interestingly, they went 1-2 in the draft. The year Harper was drafted, Sammy was picked with the next pick in the sandwich round. So Harper went 1 and and uh, Sammy went 1A. Harper is making $330 million and Sammy signs as a free agent with the San Diego Padres, another organization who is underachieving. And uh, they're under 500 and their bullpen has imploded. So they signed Sammy in the end of spring training and he gets to go down to Arizona, train, gets to have his dad watch him, which would be really cool. How many guys make it to the major leagues? And then have your son playing in the major leagues. My God, I mean, that is awesome. And uh, Bob Solis, head of open arms, father of Sammy, just he gets so nervous he can't ever watch his kid pitch. So people tape it, and he watches it after that. But he walks around the ballpark and watches the game up until they bring in Sammy. Anyway. The general manager of San Diego sold his agent a bill of goods. Big time. Big mistake. He offers him a split contract, which, you know, is a, is pretty typical with rookies. But once you give a guy with that's arbitration eligible, giving him a split contract is kind of a fishy deal. It's like the Cubs signing Carlos Gonzalez to a minor league contract, and then a week later bringing him up. This is another story. They don't need Carlos. I don't know what Theo or whoever made that decision was thinking. But anyway, so Sammy signs, split contract, more money on the major league side, and then, you know, whatever a guy gets with five or six years of time in the major leagues on and off, he gets his minor league contract, and not on the 40-man roster. Big mistake not to insist that he be added to the 40-man roster. And he should have put into the contract that if he's not added to the 40-man roster when the camp breaks, he's a, he's a free agent. Didn't do that. They bury old Sammy in El Paso. He's playing down there, doing pretty good, but, you know, it's not exactly a mental, you know, jump for joy. And... uh so the, the one thing that was good about this contract was that they gave Sammy an out if he signed to play professional baseball in Japan. And he did. And now Sammy is in Japan pitching over there, and I look for him to have a really great season and come back and sign with the Cubs next year. Hope he does. Anyway, back to the Nelly Global Award. So, we're on Fox Sports pregame show, and I, I linked that on my on my Facebook page, which is pretty cool. And and the fact that I did I didn't really do that. Kathy did that. 
but still, it's there. It's cool. And you can hear the short, but I think interesting pregame show talking about open arms and talking about uh, Nelly, as we all like to call him. So that was pretty cool. And uh, we had a good time, and hopefully they'll do that again next year. They made a $10,000 contribution to Open Arms, which was a surprise to all of us that were at the game. And uh, they, being the Brewers, are a classy organization. Tyler Barnes is in charge of a lot of different things, including communications and some of the facilities. And he's working himself silly. But anyway... He and his staff keep that award going, and uh, I know that it's cool. And, uh, uh, you know, that's that on, on old Nelly Bell. So here we go. We're two games away from the halfway point of the season. And what is funny about this year is nothing, really. I mean, you know, the lighter side of baseball tries to explore some some funny things. It's hard to really talk about blooper plays or bad plays. It's neat to talk about some really spectacular plays, of which there have been many. But there's a couple issues that I think are kind of important to talk about, and one is netting and the inability of Major League Baseball to adequately protect the fans. Now, this is kind of like political correct conversation. Back when I was a kid, long time ago, And even through the 80s and 90s, the only place that was safe, although the Major League Baseball wouldn't really market their games as saying the only safe place to watch a game is behind home plate, because every ballpark had a screen of some sort. And back in the day, and that's a funny phrase, back in my youth, I remember the Cubs had this gigantic net that extended from the backstop up to the press box. And when a ball would be hit into the net, which happened 20 times a game, the fans would kind of make a chant until the ball hit the backstop, went up in the air, and the bat boy caught it. And that was entertaining. And then back when the Cubs were playing in my youth, that might have been all that was entertaining. They were, they were so bad. I mean, you got a guy like Ernie Banks never goes to the World Series. How bad is that? But even before Ernie, back in the in the fixed fifties with uh, uh, Don Cardwell and Mo Drabowski and all these guys, I mean, they they were bad. So you had to watch the foul ball go in the net, go up, boom, big time entertainment. Now, in the Omaha days, when my family owned the Royals, we didn't have any more of a net. We had a backstop. We had a uh, a pretty taut net so the ball wouldn't stay in the net very long. It would come down, and again, the bat boy would open a door behind home plate. I guess he was a ball boy. It was kind of funny. He would open the door behind home plate, and he wasn't a little guy, and he wasn't a boy. He was kind of a bat. He was a ball man, <laughs> and this guy was, you know, he'd open the door, and then he'd run out. He'd grab the ball, and the 500, 500 fans we had there, maybe a 1,000, They'd go crazy. That was the entertainment because it's minor league baseball and Bull Durham hadn't come out yet. So that was the entertainment in Omaha. Well, on the back of our tickets and every other ticket back in the day, there was a giant legal disclaimer that you assume the risk no matter what 
that in the unlikely event that a ball or a bat or an object would hit you, the ball club disclaims any and all responsibility, and you can try suing us, but good luck. Now, kind of flying in the face of that overriding philosophy is the fact that they all had, including the Omaha Royals, insurance, liability coverage that would preclude someone from really getting hurt and not being able to get some financial uh, compensation for it. So we had a few incidents in the seven years that we were in Omaha. People would come down trying to get an autograph during the game, get hit by a foul ball. They would come down and between innings, hang over the dugout, and a few people like did uh, one and a half somersaults into the dugout. Generally, that extra half isn't so good when you're not a gymnast or a diver. And, uh, you know, we had some minor injuries when we were in Omaha. Nothing serious. But last year, one of the fans at a ball game was killed when struck with a foul ball. Number two, uh, the this year has seen a number of incidents. And, and why? Well, Major League Baseball has taken an ambivalent uh, approach to netting. They really don't like netting. They feel like the fans that get good seats, expensive seats, between first base, home plate, home plate, third base, those fans don't want to net. They want an unobstructed view, and they want to be able to, and they don't really care. Now, the, the secret of Major League Baseball is every scout for decades and decades and decades sits nowhere but behind home plate. And one of the reasons is they have their radar gun and you have a little better view of the pitcher. But they also want to be there because they might not be concentrating on the game. They might be writing down notes or something. They don't want to get clocked by a ball. And they figure the number of games they go to, the odds are pretty good they could get nailed by a ball. Well, Major League Baseball doesn't tell the fans that, hey, if you want to save seats, sit behind a net. So anyway, they put out a, a requirement that each team had to extend the, the netting down at least a, until the uh, end of the respective dugouts. And so that, that uh, was done, but it wasn't enough. In the Astros game about a month ago, uh, you can recall if you were watching or saw the news clip, uh, the Cubs were playing the Astros, and the uh, foul ball struck a little girl, and she was rushed to the hospital. The Cub player was extremely shaken up, and uh, that was one incident. And then a couple weeks ago at uh, Dodger Stadium, the uh, Dodgers had a similar incident occur to uh, to a young person. So, you know. I don't like the netting, but I got to tell you, I have my tickets behind home plate at Royal Stadium, and now that they have extended the netting down past the uh, visitors' dugout and the Royals' dugout, you know, my seats went from sort of obstructed with the net to, gee, I wish I was over the dugout, to now my seats are, you couldn't get any better. And then that's not that big a deal. Now, my Cub tickets are a little further down the uh, first baseline, and actually they put up a net that, uh, that you know, 
isn't the direct line of my seats, and it's not bad. I, I got to tell you, I hardly even notice it, and it just doesn't make any difference in terms of your view, and it makes a big difference in terms of bats and balls that come flying down that way. So along comes Rob Manfred, Major League Commissioner, and says, well, every ballpark's different. And so we're going to leave it to the uh, respective teams to assess their ballpark and how far they want the netting to go. In other words, they're not going to make it like Japan where it's a totally enclosed deal uh, and you have to sit in the upper deck to get over the netting. Uh, so Manfred's kind of throwing his hands up in the air and go, well, you know, do whatever you guys want, which I think begs the question. Uh, you know, I'm sort of a purist, no net, watch the game. Don't talk about stuff if you're not going to concentrate, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I think they ought to extend the netting all the way down to the foul poles. It just makes sense. And, uh, you know, that's that's just my view on it. Um, last night at the Cub game, you know, the game was pretty uneventful. And I think everybody, the one beautiful thing about baseball is you can talk about anything and not really concentrate on the game and still catch the five or six plays in three hours that are worthwhile. So, I mean, I don't, but, but you know, keep your conversations clean and keep them a little soft. I don't need to know about your dating life behind me. You know, I don't need to know about what you think of the first base coach and how he fills out his uniform. So uh, there's lots of wandering conversations because at Wrigley, it's not like fans that go to every game or one game a week. It's fans that go one game a year, and they're, they're there to take selfies. They're there to see if they can, how many $10 beers they can drink, and they're there to uh, maybe go down the street to the... Uh, uh, Cubby Bear or Sluggers or uh, Deuces and Diamonds and have a good time. I, and I, that's great. That's what baseball is all about. It's what I think is uh, is fun about it. And so uh, that 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 issue is something that baseball really needs to get a hold of and Manfred really should have a position on it in my opinion and not just, well, you know, everybody can do whatever they want. It's just not, I don't think that's right. I don't think it's fair to the fans, and, uh, you know, you need to do something to protect the fans. You just can't have little kids, you know, getting hit. Now, should the parents be watching it a little better? Should the parent put himself between the kid and the ball? Should the parents bring a glove? I don't know. I mean, uh, it's it's just a weird deal, and it doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it's just really, uh, really bad. I think Almora, who was the Cub that hit the foul ball. He knew it immediately, and he looked over. He actually saw the contact, and uh, it was an emotionally difficult time for him, um, and I think it affected him for more than more than the game and more than a week and maybe a month at, at, at that. But that's my take on that particular issue. Another issue that I think is funny is how to dupe the umpires in Major League Baseball. First of all, they don't call enough strikes. My God, and when an umpire squeezes a strike zone, it just, the game gets boring. Call strikes, move the game along. These guys are all such good hitters, they hit balls out of the strike zone. I mean, uh, Baez hits more balls, takes more swings at balls out of the strike zone than Yogi Berra did. And Berra was famous for hitting balls that weren't strikes for hits. Got him in the Hall of Fame. Now, here's the deal. These umpires get duped 
by these catchers, and they even, they being StatCast, MLB Network, uh, the Sabermetrics boys, <laughs> some of these things get ridiculous. You know my opinion on that stuff. But they keep a stat on who's the best catcher to frame pitches, which basically is who's the best catcher to dupe umpires. And these umpires get duped incredibly easy. Instead of calling the, the pitch based on where it came into the catcher's mitt, they call the pitch on where the catcher's mitt ends up. And some of these guys are really good at framing. And framing is basically bringing the pitch that's outside of the strike zone into the strike zone. It happens more outside-inside pitches, but a little bit less on the low balls and never on a high ball. I mean, you just you stand up for a high ball and it's, you can't frame it. So it's, it's outside, inside, and down. And so, according to StatCast, Sabermetrics, blah, blah, those guys all claim that one of the worst catchers at framing pitches, in other words, duping umpires, is uh, Wilson Contreras. So, this, you know, he's a touchy guy. He, uh, you know, has some blood that overheats every now and then, and that's all part of baseball. Um, but interestingly, the other night, and the broadcasters didn't catch this, and they should have, Len Casper and J.D., come on, get with the boys. But I caught it because I am shrewd and a very knowledgeable fan. But be that as it may, uh, and I'm kidding, but I did catch it. Um, there were a couple pitches that were not strikes that uh, Flowers, the catcher, brought into the strike zone for the Braves. And on the second one, Contreras turned and, and talked to the umpire about the call. And I would imagine he had some defamatory words to say about Flowers. And I can imagine it went something like, hey, don't let this guy buffalo you into a strike. That was clearly not a strike. He's just bringing the ball, in, a ball into the strike zone and you're going with it. Stop doing that. So they're jawing, and then Flowers starts talking back to Contreras, and then the pitcher throws a no-two breaking hanging slider, which Contreras hit into the right field basket for a home run. Basket at Wrigley in front of the fence, ball goes in the basket, home run. Keeps crazy fans from jumping on the field is why it was put up. Long time ago, pretty funny, and they can't, you know, if they throw uh, beer bottles, generally they don't, but if something gets thrown, it gets caught in the, Basketball is mostly to keep fans from jumping 20 feet down to the ground. There's no such thing as jumping up and robbing a home run at Wrigley. It just can't happen unless Will Chamberlain decided to play baseball. Be that as it may, the ball goes into the net and Contreras goes crazy. He looks back at Flowers and I'm sure uttered a few words, which he uttered again when he was done. Beats his chest, yelling and screaming at the Braves dugout. Circles the bases and then gets home, starts yelling at flowers again, few words that your kids shouldn't hear. And then the bullpen's empty out and everybody comes out and cha-cha-chas and then they go away and that's it. And you see, you know, Contreras has to go over and talk to Rizzo and Bryant, the 
you know, the uh, leadership committee on the Cubs, then they start laughing. And then in the post-game interview, they ask Madden what that was all about, and he said it was about the difference of catching styles, which exactly what, what I had said. They got mad because Flowers can frame a pitch and Contreras gets bad PR about frame, not being able to frame. So anyway, that was the deal, and uh, you know they tried to show that there was bad blood on a on a play back in the series in Atlanta, and it's funny. So the lighter side of baseball recognizes baseball fights are pretty funny. Uh, the guys run out, get a little wind sprint in, and uh, rarely is a punch thrown, and that's great. Again, I'm not advocating, you know, people getting hurt. Although I don't like plays at the the rule now at second base. I don't like the rule at home. I'm sure it saves injuries. Um, I'm giving in on, I think, the netting. I think the fans ought to be protected. I don't think the players need the protection of the rule at second base and the rule at home plate. And then, uh, you know, the celebration stuff's getting crazy. I mean, a guy, you know, goes one for 20 and on his one hit. He's at second base acting like he, he just won the... Uh, uh, MVP award or something, so that's kind of weird, but that's uh, that's that's another thing that's that's is that a hot topic? No, not really, but is that something that uh, we like to talk about? Yeah, so that is where we're at for now, and what we're going to talk about next is the All Star voting and where that is with everybody and. Uh, before we do that, you know that every show we have uh, somebody that was famous wearing the number of the episode that we're doing. And so today is episode number 22, and the famous number 22s are uh, not that, they're just not a lot of famous 22s. There are a lot of 22s for the White Sox and the Cubs, and we'll get to those guys in a minute, but the... Uh, Probably the most famous uh, number 22, who won't get into the Hall of Fame, is Roger Clemens. Another famous number 22 that will get in the Hall of Fame is Jim Palmer. Some famous number 22s in my love of the White Sox would be none other than Dave DeBusher. You folks remember Dave DeBusher probably more for his fame with the New York Knicks and the NBA, but... DeBusher was one of several players that played both Major League Baseball and uh, uh, professional basketball. So uh, that's pretty cool for DeBush, another number 22. Scotty Pesednik, one of Nelly's base running students who came back and played in the Dave Nelson Golf Tournament, Davey Nelson Golf Tournament as they called it, and uh, he played with my foursome. And uh, I'll tell you what, it took a lot of of convincing for Nelly to get anybody to play with our foursome. We were, we were, we did finish in the middle of the pack. We couldn't cheat our way into the top five. There were some really good golfers, of which none of them seemed to be on my team. But a shout goes out to uh, uh, one of my kids and to uh, two of my high school buddies who uh, put together a team year after year after year and supported the uh, Dave Nelson Golf Tournament. And so Scotty Pesednik played with us. Kenny Lofton played with us. Jason Grimsley played with us. Robin Yant played with us. You know, that's pretty good guys for in this golf tournament. And uh, 
to their credit, they didn't uh, try to coerce Nelly into getting off of uh, my team. My team was, like I said, on a good day, we were mediocre. On a bad day, we were, we were unreal. Uh, but anyway, we always had a good time. And uh, we always had uh, fun up in Sheboygan, Wisconsin at Whistling Straits. So shout out to all those guys who played at Whistling Straits in that golf tournament. It was a lot of fun and uh, raised a lot of money. And uh, that was cool. So, um, Dick Don, back to the uh, number 22. Here's an interesting deal. Two of the broadcasters for the White Sox wore 22. Darren Jackson, the color commentator, and Ed Farmer, the play-by-play guy for the White Sox, they wore 22. Here's one for the Cubs. This is pretty awesome because this guy, I didn't even know he played for the Cubs. This is pretty cool. Number 22 for the Cubs back in the day before my day. Dizzy Dean, how about that? Dizzy Dean wore number 22 for the Cubs. And on this day in baseball back in, I think, the year 1916, I'd have to check that, but my staff will get busy fact-checking that in a week or two. Uh, On this day in history, a long time ago, the Cleveland Indians wore the numbers on their sleeves that corresponded to numbers in the lineup. For the first time, anybody wore their numbers. That was it. Now, I've talked about how, you know, Babe Ruth batted third in the order, so he was number three. For the Yankees, Lou Gehrig batted fourth, number four. So anyway, this day in baseball, there you go. Dizzy Dean, number 22, Jason Hayward, the Jay Hay Kid, number 22, and a host of others. But that was the deal. So anyway, we've talked about all of those great, exciting things. Let's talk a little bit about the Machado and Harper. Uh, Boy, you know, the Phillies are just struggling. They got trouble in their clubhouse. The manager's a fruitcake, and they are trailing the the, uh, division-leading Atlanta Braves near the halfway mark by six and a half games. What What a joke. And Harper... For his 330 million, remember every day, the mail every two weeks when the mail comes, he gets about a million bucks. That's not a bad visit to the post office. I could do the math, but you know it's uh, it's getting late in the show. Machado is having a little better year, and he cracked a home run and back in his first game, return to the Orioles. So uh, that's that. Let's talk about the bottom, the dogs. They're more fun to talk about because we're going to get to the all-star selections in a little bit, and we're going to get to the guys on the all-star team that I pick that I think should win, and a bunch of them are ex-Cubs. Let's give it to Theo for getting rid of a bunch of guys, and maybe it's not all Theo, but uh, maybe it's just some other guys that um, have a hard time with the uh, uh, departing Cubs making the all-star team and getting getting into a... uh, good vote. So we'll we'll get to that in a minute. But the bottom five continues to be the same, guys. In fact, there are still a number of teams that have not gotten to 30 wins, including my Kansas City Royals. So I'm telling you what, the uh, the Royals continue to have the second worst record in baseball. You've got the Orioles. God, they're pathetic. You've got the Tigers. 
you've got the Blue Jays and you've, you've got the Royals that are in the American League under 30 and the Miami Marlins are at 30. Now, the Cubs seem to be in the worst division in baseball. They all lost last night. The Cubs have 43 wins and are the division leaders. The Tampa Bay Rays, the Cleveland Indians, the Boston Red Sox, and the Texas Rangers all have at least as many wins as the Cubs and are not a division leader. So Tampa Bay could be leading that division. The Red Sox could be leading that division. And I think that the, uh, and this, this is maybe uh, something that would be on the lighter side of baseball, I think the Reds have a good shot at catching the Cubs. I think the Brewers need pitching help. I mean, they got. I mean, they got to trade for some pitching help. And the, uh, you know, the same teams. You can look at almost every stat, beginning with the payroll, and it's the same. So the problem is, there's ten teams in baseball that suck. That that just absolutely are not competitive. There's no competitive balance. One thing that the NFL can say is that the last place team in each division is not that much worse than the first place team. So, you know, is that equality uh, what you're looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably more fun when your team might be able to win. But the, uh, you know, God, they're just, you can look at the, you can look at everything. The Dodgers, the Dodgers are cool because they get the World Series and they try to get back. The Royals got the World Series won the World Series, and their goal now seems to be, let's try to get a team that's a little better than AAA. Let's go out and get a couple guys that'll surround our mistakes, like Alex Gordon and Ian Kennedy, and nothing personal, boys, but you're overpaid. And let's see if we can just at least provide some entertainment. And luckily, uh, Hunter Dozier came around. The Padres have a great team, but they can't get out of their own way. They've had pitching problems. Machado's not really good, but he's better than Harper right now. And so uh, what's going to happen in the second half? I think the Dodgers have basically clinched the pennant. The Yankees aren't going to get caught by the Rays or the Red Sox. And uh, in the Central Division, the Twins, the the two Central Divisions have gone from the best to the worst. The Twins are going to walk away with it. There's no race there. So on top of all the other problems with the dwindling attendance that Major League Baseball has, you've got no races except the Central Division and the Eastern Division, I suppose, in the National League. It's up for grabs. The Pirates, the Reds, the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Cubs, all could, any one of those could and will win the division. Somebody has to win it. And there will not be a wild card this year from the Central Division. I just don't think there'll be a wild card from the Central Division. And you really... Um, unless something amazing happens. And, and so, because I go to some of these uh, Cub games, I feel compelled to talk about the Cubs a little bit. And I know some people think I get all over the Cubs a little bit more than I should. But let me tell you, their two big guns, Bryant and Rizzo, just are not hitting. Um... Uh, they don't get clutch hits. In fact, nobody gets clutch hits. And I know Madden's got to be, 
little bit concerned about that because they beat up on crummy pitching. Their run differential is plus 55 or plus 60 or whatever. And they get, you know, they smell that blood in the water and they can nail a bad pitcher like they did the other night. Tehran got so tired uh, and they kept him in and he just gets shelled. And so, oh, the Cubs are hitting the opposite field. Whoa, their woes are over. Their offense has come alive. Then the next day they get four hits uh, off of uh, <laughs> Fried. Uh, fried, they got fried again. That's twice this year. If you listen to the earlier podcast, the Cubs got fried by Fry. F-R-I-E-D. I think he pronounces it Freed. But they got fried by Freed. Anyway, to the American League All-Star catcher, that clearly should go to James McCann of the Pale Host Chicago White Sox. For the National League, uh, the finalists in the voting include Wilson Cohn Treras, uh, Yasmani Grandel, and uh, Bryant McCann. I'd give it to McCann just because he's the easiest to pronounce, but Grandel's got to win it. He's had, he's had a great start to the season. So my catchers are McCann for the American League, Grandel for the uh, National League. First base, I give it to Luke Voigt. He's had a heck of a year for the Yankees. Hate to give the Yankees anything, but give the devil or do. Voigt is my pick. In the National League, Freddie Freeman, come on. Josh Bell's had a great year. He'll get on the team. Rizzo, not anywhere near an all-star. I mean, come on, boys. You and Brian have got to get going. You've got to focus. This is not a popularity contest out at first base. Get focused. Get mean. Get some grit. Let's go, Cubbies. Second base, i got to go with D.J. LeMahieu or Tommy LaStella. And what do those boys have in common? Well, the Cubs drafted LeMahieu and gave him away, and they gave Tommy LaStella his free agency because Theo wanted to give him a better chance. Well, that's not what LaStella says. He says he wanted to sign with the Cubs, but that's the way it goes. I give the nod to DJ LeMahieu, but I hope LaStella makes a team. He is having a great year, and it's fun to see. He's on the Angels. Mike Trout continues to be the best player in baseball. Nolan Arenado is right behind him. And those two guys are playing for teams that are not really devoting their resources to winning, and especially the Angels. So anyway, that's, uh, again, I digress. I love to digress. Anyway, so LeMayhew, all three of those guys, Jose Altuve, come on. How can you not? He's been hurt. How can he be on the all-star team? Then you got the National League second baseman, and this guy, Ozzy Albies, just kills the Cubs. Oh, my God. Him and Okuna, or whatever the guy's name is. But my vote goes to a former Royals. So we got former Royals, former Cubs. Royals gave away a lot of guys. One of the guys that gave away is uh, none other than Mike Moustakas, listed as a second baseman, which I think is kind of humorous because. Uh, Moustakas is no more second baseman than I am an Olympic sprinter, but that's where he started at playing this year, and so that is the deal with him. But, uh, you know, that's cool, and Moose deserves a great start. Now, shortstop, another ex-Cub, the guy that they traded for Chapman, the guy that they traded to win the World Series, so you can't really argue, but Glaber Torres is the uh, vote that I give over Carlos Correa, who's been hurt most of the year, and Jorge Polanco with the Twins. Glaber, as the Yankees announcer always goes, it's Glaber Day every day. 
kind of obnoxious. <laughs> but anyway, uh, now the uh, National League shortstop. Man, this is tough, but I got to give the nod to Javi Baez. He's had a great year. Trevor Story's had a great year. Swanson's good, too. Third base. Bragman's going to win this. Hunter Dozier of the Royals has really had a good year. And um, so one of those two guys, I give the nod to Bragman. He's a gamer, man, in every sense of the word. He is, you know, these guys on the Astros and the Dodgers and on a few other teams, man, their bats are always on the plane of the ball. The Cubs are never on the plane of the ball. You know, the only chance they have is when that bat uppercuts and happens to come into contact with the plane of the ball. And, you know, you're not going to hit very consistently when you do that. So, anyway, at third base, I go with Bregman in the AL, and my the best player in the, in the National League, without a doubt, is Nolan Arenado, hands down. Chris Bryant shouldn't even be in the ballot. Sorry, Chris. And Donaldson, uh, no. So that brings us to the outfield. And the outfield for the uh, American League is a little bit more challenging uh, than the National League. But first of all, you have Mike Trout. Second of all, you got Mookie Betts. And so who's going to be the third guy? And you probably have to give it to Eddie Rosario or George Springer. Um, I'm going to give the nod to Rosario just because the Twins need some love. And I'm here to give it to him. Then you've got in the outfield Ronald Acuna, who you know, is the guy that I was uh, talking about that just kills the Cubs. Uh, but he's not going to make it. Al Mora's not going to make it because Joe doesn't play him all the time. Come on, Joe. Get Al Mora into the lineup every day with Hayward and uh, somebody else. I guess it's got to be uh, Schwarber until you can make him a DH. I think the Cubs are holding Schwarber thinking that baseball's going to go to all DH in a couple of years. Uh, so anyway, you've got, these are all no-brainers. Cody Bellinger, Charlie Blackman, and Christian Yelich with a nod to Peterson and Hayward and Acuna. But, I mean, you cannot beat Bellinger, Blackman, and uh, Yelich. And then you got the DH. The three guys in the final voting, they don't even have... <laughs> why don't you have a National League DH? It's going to be played in an American League park. They're going to have to DH. I don't get that. So the American League, whatever. It's so goofy. Um, Nelson Cruz, stud, but Hunter Pence, annoying to say the least. J.D. Martinez, the real guy that's going to get the nod. So there you have my take on the Midsummer Classic, which started in 1933. And interestingly, a bit of trivia, there's only been one Grand Slam ever hit in an All-Star game. And I was there in 1983 at Comiskey Park, or the Cell, or whatever you want to call it. The outfielder for the Boston Red Sox, none other than Freddie Lynn, knocked a Grand Slam home run that continues to be the only Grand Slam in the history of the All-Star game. Unbelievable. If somebody can challenge that, that's like my Tinker's Divers to Chance Hall of Fame. Uh, trivia. So now that we're on iTunes, I hope more people get a chance to listen. I hope more people get a chance to uh, share on my Twitter account and on my Instagram account. I think that the uh, the race for the uh, postseason is going to be ho-hum through uh, September, except in two divisions. 
And I think that it's going to be a lot of fun in terms of uh, watching the Home Run Derby this year because the winner gets a million bucks. I know I'm going to watch that instead of in years past blowing it off. So I think the Home Run Derby is going to be awesome. I think that's going to be the big draw. The All-Star Game's fun. The Futures Game's fun. The College World Series, shout out to the Wolverines, the University of Michigan, going against Vanderbilt in the uh, uh, winner-take-all match tonight on ESPN. That's going to be fun. The Cubs take on Dallas Keuchel and the uh, Braves tonight. And then tomorrow, maybe Kimbrell gets called up. So that'll be exciting at Wrigley. I'm planning my summer excursions. I want to get to at least two other ballparks. I know I'm going to go to PNC Park in Pittsburgh in August. And if I can get over to Minnesota, uh, I'm going to try to do that. But summer's running out. The season's running out. Holy moly, we're at the halfway point of the season, and I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It's been going this quickly, and I can't believe how crummy the Cubs are, and they're still in first place. So that's all the fun stuff I have to talk about. I think that next time maybe we'll try to bring in a little bit more memorabilia conversation. I'm going to try to talk, uh, interview my uh, beer vendor at Wrigley Field, and yes, he's my beer vendor at Wrigley Field. I'm going to try to grab an interview with uh, my scalper. And yes, Cubs, I sell a few tickets uh, that I have because uh, I don't know what. And a shout-out to the Negro League Hall of Fame in Kansas City, Missouri. They're taking up one of my ideas, and they haven't gone far enough, but the Royals on Sunday played their Negro League tribute game, and uh, both teams were wearing... Uh, Negro League uniforms, obviously the Kansas City Royals were uh, attired in Monarchs uniforms. And a, a, and a special tribute goes out to the Royals, because I don't usually commend them very much. But they had the uniform and they had helmets that corresponded to the uniform. Usually these throwback uniforms, they'll come out with these cool throwback uniforms and then they'll have their old helmet on. It's like, come on. So spring another thousand bucks and get a couple batting helmets for you guys. Royals did that. It was really cool. And at the Negro League Hall of Fame on Monday after the Sunday game, they inducted or honored, and I wasn't there, and I need to talk to uh, Bob Kendrick, the head of the Hall of Fame, and try to figure out what they're going to do next year. But they had a uh, like a, a hall of gamers, and I think it was cool. The Negro League Museum needs to do something to bump it up, to expand it from the Negro Leagues, because every year you get further and further removed. This was cool. They had guys like uh, uh, Dave Stewart and Fred McGriff and a couple other guys that they honored. And I got to laugh. This was funny. You know how I feel about Statcast and MLB Network's hosts that are sabermetricians that just are gross. The game hasn't changed. The swings are more uppercutty than they used to be, and they've got stats to show everything. And now the players, you know, it's like a quarterback got in the NFL where the quarterback's got this big old thing on his wrist, and it reminds him what the plays are and what the sequences are that he should call the plays in. Well, now... The geek department of every major league team seems to give a little cheat sheet to the player. So you got pitcher on the mound looking at a look, taking a list out instead of instead of taking out 
seeds to chew on. They take out their list and tells them what to throw and when to throw it and where to play in the outfield. It's it is hilarious. But anyway, Brian, whatever his name is, the king of sabermetrics, was talking to Dave Stewart, and he's trying to convince Stewart that he was a one of the uh, uh, front runners, one of the pioneers in coming up with data to utilize when he pitched against everybody because he pitched so much like what Brian thinks pitchers now pitch like. And he couldn't budge Stewart. It was just, it was great fun listening. Stewart would go, no, I really didn't care what the what the scouting department showed. I really did my own game planning. I really didn't let the catcher call the plays. And I didn't have any, you know, specific shoots and arm slots. And I just went out and threw. I pitched. I pitched smart because I was a good pitcher. And so was Bob Gibson and Early Wynn and Lefty Grove. And and uh, anyway, it's just they're trying to make – they got to fill 24 hours of viewing entertainment. So I understand. They, they just try to make it into what it's not. It goes back, like I said before, Willie Mays. You throw the ball, I hit the ball. You hit the ball, I catch the ball. It's the same game. They're just trying to drain the world of uh, spontaneity. And uh, I'll leave with this funny note, and this isn't from me, but I'm stealing it. Uh, I'm stealing it from Jim Deshaies, J.D., uh, the partner of Len Casper, on the video presentation of the Chicago Cubs baseball. But they were talking about uh, Lefty Grove and Lefty somebody else named Lefty. And J.D. goes, why doesn't anybody name a guy like Righty? You know, there's a lot of lefties that pitched in the major leagues, but no righty. And, of course, Casper, who's kind of a geek anyway, and, and good, uh, and I'm not on Len. Um, I think he's funny sometimes. Not really. doesn't have a sense of humor. Deshaies has a really funny, strange sense of humor. But he look, he immediately Googles major league players named Righty. Drew a blank. So anyway, that was funny. That's light. I'm trying to lighten it up. I'm so excited to be on iTunes, so you folks can go to that little purple, whatever they call it, on your phone or your iPad or on your Apple Mac computer. You go to podcast, you go to the lighter side of baseball, and you will get this episode number 22 as soon as we get it up and running. And so in the meantime, from Chicago, and I will do another podcast between the uh, end of the half of the season, the 81-game point, and the All-Star break. I'll do one in Wisconsin. I will uh, include a couple other people and see how it goes with another guy talking. Uh, that's going to be sad, but true. We'll try to have a little variety. We'll try to do some interviews. And now that we're on iTunes, I think I can convince a few other guys to come on, and uh, we'll get our listening audience up uh, from 4 to 12 and it'll be interesting. In the meantime, visit my my uh, Facebook uh, home. Uh, send me an Instagram at lighter side of BB, I think. <laughs> and in the meantime, you have a great day. And if you're playing golf, hit it in the fairway. It's a lot easier to find. So for the lighter side of sports, the lighter side of baseball, actually, add my crew. 
and my family who's trying to get me into the 21st century of social media. Have a great day. Go out and have a lot of fun, and we will talk to you down the road. So that's it from Chicago, Illinois, and we'll join you next in Land of Lakes, Wisconsin, looking out over beautiful Big Portage Lake. Thanks again, and have a good day. <laughs>